there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and you're very welcome to this Christmas edition of RTE's Your Politics podcast. Slightly different to the usual format in that this time we're not looking back on the political events of the week, but rather looking ahead to what is set to be a busy 2024 with local elections, European elections, a mayoral election, two referendums and who knows, maybe even a general election. Our panel today is Minister for Further and Higher Education, Simon Harris, political correspondent with the Irish examiner, Kira Phelan, and Eano Reardon, Labour Party spokesperson on justice. And Kira, we'll go with order of events, or at least how we expect things to pan out. Mm. And the first major event on the agenda will be the referendums or, or referenda. I'm mm. not quite sure which word we'll go with, but can you set out what people will be voting on? Yeah, that's right, Tommy. Obviously, this is a long-awaited referendum that um, had been delayed initially. We were hoping that it would take place in November, but it has been set now for March 8th, which is also International Women's Day. So a couple of weeks ago, the Taoiseach, the Integration Minister, Roderick O'Gorman, um, the Taunashta and Education Minister, Norma Foley, said, out exactly what uh, the referendum would seek to do. So essentially it would be what is being proposed is four changes to Article 41 on the on the family in the Constitution. Um, really briefly, I'll, I'll take you through those changes. Article 41.1 to include wording that the state recognises the family whether um, founded on marriage or on other durable relationships. Uh, the second proposal to change is the complete um, to delete completely Article 41.2 which refers to women's place in the home that was one of the measures among many by the Citizens Assembly and I suppose one of the focal points of the referendum that you know it's just completely out of date and then the third proposal is to Article uh, 41.3 which would delete specific words um, on which the family is founded and Leo Radker said at the time that you know we are playing constitutional catch up here and the families are not just based on marriage and then lastly to create a new article which would be called Article 42B and this was essentially to acknowledge the, the to recognise the provision of care um, in the constitution. Now, the proposals are not exactly in line with what the Citizens' Assembly had um, referred to explicitly, but that is what the public will be asked to vote on on March 8th. That is a problem for opposition parties, isn't it? The, the wording around care, the likes of the Labour Party, Aon mm. Erdogan, you wanted that to go further. So would you be supporting these referendums? We don't know. Uh, at the moment because we have a lot of internal discussions to have within our own parliamentary party our own party uh, and indeed lobby groups and, and NGOs in this area but there's certainly a lack of enthusiasm certainly for the care provision um, and also there's a nervousness I think right throughout the political system of having this referendum at this time in this atmosphere that's in the country uh, particularly the one on women's rights I just know if we have a public meeting on, on the deletion of that 
element of the constitution about the women's place in the home and the first question from somebody who's trying to be disruptive will be what's a woman and this becomes a kind of a, a transphobic hate fest for those who want to engage in that so that's culture war culture war stuff so that's that's you know concern number one but concern number two is absolutely about the provision of within the, the proposed text that does not go far enough and you don't get two chances at this generally if you're going to be enthusiastic and ask people to vote for something you really want to be you know, vehemently in favour of it, if you like. And we have major concerns that it doesn't go far enough and we're withholding our position for the moment. But we've allowed discussions internally and externally to have over the next period of time before we decide what our position is. Um, and civil society groups, they're also trying to adjudicate as yeah. to whether they'll support it as well. I mean, Minister Harris, this should have been a slam dunk, should it not? Has this really been, as Ivana Batchik said a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity on the government's part? No, I don't, I don't think so at all, actually. A huge amount of work has gone gone, gone into this. And, and in fairness, I acknowledge the role Deputy Batchik played when she chaired a committee, the role the Citizens' Assembly played, and then government uh, and a cabinet committee, which I'm a member of, having to, to grapple with this for quite, for quite a period of time. I, I, don't, I don't accept any referendum, by the way, as ever a slam dunk. Um, your listeners will remember back when we had a children's rights referendum, which in my head was slam dunk. Um, and actually the margin would have been tighter than many thought and the turnout much lower than many would have hoped now it passed. But no referendum is ever a slam dunk. Um, this will be the first referendum in which we'll actually have a permanent electoral commission. And I think they're going to have an extraordinarily important job to play in addressing a number of the issues that, that Aon rightly references, where we actually have to try and have a referendum on the facts of what we're doing, mm. uh, as opposed to places people may wish to bring it. Another potential problem is low turnout with this referendum. How do you counteract that as a government? Well, I think we are going to, and I take the point, I'm very respectful of the processes that other parties will go through and, and, and uh, organisations and civic society groups, but there is, there is no doubt anybody who wishes to modernise our constitution, anybody who wishes to remove that gendered sexist language, anyone who wishes to have a specific provision around care, we are ultimately all going to have to pull together on this because this is not a referendum for which the outcome can in any way, shape or form be taken for granted. The Children's Rights referendum, I believe, was held on a Saturday, if memory serves me correctly, in order to improve turnout and it didn't work. And of course, the, the issue with the referendums is that they're rarely about what they're supposed to be about. They turn into something else. But if there's no energy behind the care provision, if there's no motivation to, to campaign, if the NGOs and civil society groups are, are not enthusiastic, well, then it's hard to see how there's going to be energy behind this. And a low turnout means that generally referendums are in trouble on that basis. Yeah, I, I think that's true. But I think at, so, at some point in time, and accepting that there's a lot of information for people to take in and consider, and, and that's all fine. At some point in time, people are going to have to decide, are these provisions in their mind better or worse than the status quo? And I believe they're very clearly better than the status quo. Because that's not a fair point. In order to, to counteract fears around a, a low turnout, that, that you actually need opposition buy-in. And that's something is better than nothing. I yeah, suppose. but you can't take that for granted. And the opposition's job is not to you know, to, to, to row in behind government when government feels it needs a hand. Uh, we take each uh, constitution provision uh, and the amendments to the constitution very seriously. Uh, and if the recommendations from the Citizens' Assembly uh, overseen by, through an Oireachtas Committee by Ivana Patrick don't go as far as we would have liked, well then, you know, there's an opportunity for the people to say, you know, this just, just doesn't do what we wanted to do and go try again. And... There's a number of, of opportunities for the people to go back to the polls next year if it doesn't work out in March. And we're, I'm not stating our position here now, but if it doesn't happen in March, it can clearly be returned well, to uh, uh, on polling dates, uh, be, be it the, at you know, the local European time or maybe the general election further down the road. But you don't just vote for something because it's 
it's just a little bit better. It has to be, well, has I think to be right. I think it's significantly better. And I mean, look, and I look forward, and we're not going to have the, we're not going to have the debate today, but I really look forward to debating these provisions because it's absolutely significantly better. There are, there are single parent families in this country today, right now, who are not recognised um, as families under our constitution. No, you, you and I know that, that's, yeah, yeah, you yeah, and yeah. I both share a view that that's wrong and yeah. has to change. There's language in the constitution that is utterly offensive uh, to women, uh, that is outdated, sexist, misogynistic, call it what you will. Uh, and there is no provision in the constitution currently in relation to care. Um, and what we in government will be doing is trying to build a coalition um, across, uh, and when I, when I say government, I mean government parties, will be trying to build a, a, a coalition uh, across the political spectrum and in civic society to say these are changes worth making. Um, and I, I do I do believe when push comes to shove and when people consider the alternative, which would be leaving things as they are um, at this stage of the political cycle, I think we will be able to create a coalition that can deliver a majority but it's going to be a lot it's going to be a lot of work and What's your sense of that Kira, just to, to wrap yeah, up on this to topic Yeah there to be honest with you I don't think people would appreciate having to go back to the polls again for a second time I think you know we have seen a broad welcome um, to the proposals by the civil society groups and Not in the care provision though uh, but they haven't completely said that they're against it. They're mm. still considering it. Mm. Um, and like the minister has said, you know, it is better than what uh, is in there at the moment. I don't know what would come of essentially holding a referendum, the cost of it. I think as Taoiseach said at a press conference, it can cost up to 12 million euro. I think that's what uh, previous referendums can cost. The work that's been done in it in terms of the electoral commission and then essentially to have to go back and do that again, I think that's where the public, that's when you might get low ter- voter turnout going to a, sec- a second time that people may lose interest in it. It is really important. Obviously, the civil society groups in particular um, will look at it and it remains to be seen as to when they'll come to their final uh, consensus and decision on it. But I do think, Aon, what you're suggesting in terms of um, possibly going back to voting again I don't think that would sit well, well with the, the public. The thing is, well, just, is to get it right the first time. Okay, let's move on. Uh, and, and there is actually another referendum that uh, is likely to happen next year. It's a patent referendum and we won't dwell on it but basically it's, it's to harmonise patent rules across the EU. We're I favour this one. We're in favour this one. Vote <laughs> yes. This Vote yes. yes. I have one question on it, Minister sure. Harris. Is, is there an agreed date now as to when that will happen? There is not, but the local and European elections do provide a potential date, but the government will decide on that early in the new year. Okay, and uh, speaking of those uh, local and European elections, they're due to happen in June. Sinn Féin had a poor local and European Mm. election in 2019. Can we take for granted now that they will likely perform a, a lot better this time around? I don't know if we can say we'll, we'll take it for granted, but it's what you'd expect considering, you know, we've seen, although there has been in recent polls, a dip in support for uh, Sinn Féin. But I think that, you know, it, they it came across so poorly in terms of the seats that they won at the last election. Anything at all is going to be seen as a win for the party. Um, I think, you know, at the last local elections, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael did quite well. So any decrease or loss of seats there it's automatically going to be painted as a loss for uh, the two out two out of three coalition um, parties I think a lot of people will be watching the local elections in terms of the mood of what it may set for the general election which we know will probably be sometime next year mm-hmm. um it will be a really interesting time to see exactly how many seats uh, the coalition parties can hold on to and if that Sinn Féin 
Sinn Féin surge that we saw at the last general election will come to pass at the locals. The only thing about the local elections is um, a lot of people tend to vote for the person rather than the party. So it'll be interesting to see how it, it all plays out. I will thrash out the, the general election in a few minutes' time. But uh, in terms of Europe, uh, Kira mm. Phelan, um, there's, there's been a few uh, big names that have thrown their, their hat into the ring in terms of declaring their interest for Europe. You might just take us through uh, yeah. who a few of those people are. Maybe one is in this studio. No, it's not me. I haven't called a big name before. There you go. Silly name, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, the, the three constituencies there, you have you know Dublin, Midlands and the South. And uh, obviously, Aon can speak for himself, but... Um, there are a couple of other big names. Obviously, we've seen uh, Barry Cowan and Ophina Fall and Lisa Chambers, um, that they are both interested in taking a fifth seat in, in the Midlands constituency. So it'll be interesting to see how that pl- plays out. It has been described as Fianna Fáil sources as um, the dream team. Obviously, Neil Blaney is interested in taking that seat there too. We obviously saw so many Fine Gael, um, you know, uh, sitting MEPs who said that they're not going to, to run again. So we've seen Red McGuinness and the likes of Deirdre Clune. Um, so again, it's going to be so interesting to see exactly what happens at these European elections. Aon O'Riordan, you have uh, declared your interest mm. for Europe. Some would say you're going into the political wilderness, though. You're a front bench TD uh, for the Labour Party. Why are you deciding to, to go to Europe? Well, I want to represent Dublin. And look, there's a nomination process within the Labour Party. I'm not in any way the selected candidate. I know Annie Hoy, uh, our senator, is also uh, interested in uh, in the role. Um, but I look at what's happened to Dublin over the last period of time. Uh, I look at the fact that, you know, schools are in crisis, can't get teachers, the guards we know are in crisis, that the housing issue uh, continues. I know people will say that these are Dublin issues, domestic issues and not European issues. But I look at... Uh, it was it was the riot that changed that changed everything for me. Uh, it felt like I was looking at a family member being beaten up in front of me, and the next opportunity for Dubliners to speak as to what their values are, what's important for Dublin, is is the European elections, a Dublin wide poll, and. I don't feel that this government has has done enough for Dublin. I, I don't think the energy in Leinster House is Dublin focused what, enough. What can you achieve at European I Parliament? Want, I, yeah, well, I want to speak about, you know, I want to be a, a, a representative for Dublin that speaks to Dublin issues. And there's any amount of things in the European Parliament from, between Erasmus Plus, but the, which the, the minister will know all about, um, from workers' rights, from, from housing rights, um, from the climate change to tackling the far right, all of these issues are issues right across Europe, but they're obviously issues here as well. I look at the, the makeup that we have at the moment, four MEPs, three of them are from government parties, and the fourth is somebody whose pronouncements over the last five years have, have really been problematic for, for Irish ears in terms of what's happened in Ukraine. And, and, and I think there's a space the for... Sure well, that's fine, uh, but there's but a, there's a centre-left uh, position in Irish politics that I think needs to come to the fore in the next six months and I want to promote that centre left position. If you're not successful, uh, you run for election and you're not successful, will you contest the next Doyle election? Yeah, that would be my, my intention, yeah. Um, Minister Harris, uh, Kira was outlining a few of the names that have uh, declared an interest. Uh, in terms of people uh, hoping to replace Francis Fitzgerald in Dublin, we have the likes of Josepha Madigan, Colin Brophy, Regina Darty. These are all people who are hoping to contest, contest the next uh, general election as well. So if one of them were to be elected, it would present a, a real 
difficulty for, Sin- for Fine Gael in terms of holding on to seats in their respective constituencies. It would also present a real uh, victory for Fine Gael in terms of electing people uh, to the European Parliament. I mean, the European Parliament matters and we have to get beyond the conversation sometimes that we have in domestic media about why are people uh, going to the European Parliament? Is this the political wilderness as you put to Aon or whatever else? The European Parliament it really, really matters. In fact, it matters now probably more than ever um, in terms of the level of geopolitical uncertainty there is and who we send to the European Parliament matters. I mean, you've quite rightly highlighted the fact that we have two excellent uh, MEPs in Francis Fitzgerald and Deirdre Clune who are retiring at the, at the next election from the European Parliament and they've had both, both given great service. We also have, as you've said, a lot of people coming forward and saying, I'd like to, to, to run for that position. And I think the fact that there's now people in national politics, both in the opposition and the government, who actually see the value in, in working at a European level um, is ultimately a good thing. So I've no doubt in relation to Fine Gael, it's highly likely we'll end up with a contested convention in relation to Dublin. And that is a good thing with a lot of interest in people wanting to, to succeed Francis Fitzgerald in the European Parliament and obviously ask the people of Dublin for a mandate. And let's say, because there is the theory that let's say Barry Cowan were to be elected in, in Midlands Northwest. Let's say one of the, the sitting TDs in Dublin were to be elected. Uh, and then potentially you could there's speculation that maybe Pascal Donahue could go to the IMF or indeed there will be, you'd imagine, one Fianna Fáler who could get the EU commissioner post. So you're down a number of, of seats in the Dáil at that point, which could force the hand of government in terms of declaring a general election before the end of the year. What do you make uh, of that I'm theory? I'm smiling there because a lot of speculation. <laughs> You've appointed people to the IMF, the European Commission. Uh, we've decided the outcomes of the European election. Well, they haven't denied their interests. <laughs> so. As you could quite rightly say, they... they the opposition could well see people also elected from the Dáil mm-hmm. to the European Parliament. Um, so so uh, the impact that, that all of these things could or could not have uh, on Dáil arithmetic remains to be seen. Look, I think the timing of the general election is obviously a statement of fact, a matter for the Taoiseach. But I mean, there, there is no doubt as the calendar year turns into 2024, we're, we're, we're factually moving closer. Um, and therefore, there is going to be a general election uh, sometime over the course uh, of the next 15 months. That is a statement of fact. So we're not that far away uh, in political terms. We want to obviously try and deliver another budget. Uh, there's a number of projects that we want to continue to try and make progress on between now and the election. But look, I don't think it's any sort of political secret to say I'm sure all political parties, both government and opposition, uh, will be stepping up their preparatory work towards a general election once 2024 comes. We'll hop along to a different topic and there will be an important vote coming up for the people of, of Limerick, Kira. You might just uh, briefly remind us of what they'll be voting on. Yeah, so this is obviously it was passing it all um, in the last couple of weeks um, and it would whereby you'd see the people of Limerick going to elect a mayor of Limerick and they essentially would have the executive functions at a policy and strategic level. Does Labour support the idea of uh, a directly elected mayor, Aaron O'Riordan? Oh, absolutely. Well, we believe in a number of things. We believe that the town council should come back, which I think was a mistake uh, of government that we were involved in uh, about 10 years ago, because that has stripped away a, a certain level of uh, of you know civic engagement, I think, in, in various different towns across the country. But certainly when it comes to local democracy, um, I spent time on, on Dublin City Council. It's an incredibly important role, but the frustration of councillors is that they don't have uh, executive power, uh, enough of it, and also that the mayor is a ceremonial role. Changes every year. You don't have the same connectivity between the citizenry and the and the mayor. There was a time thirty years ago when the mayor used to be a member of the Oireachtas, so maybe he had more of a national profile, so people had a better connectivity with that person. Thinking of people like 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 Bertie Hearn, for example, when he was a minister and and, and Lord Mayor. Now they're exclusively councillors, and people don't have the same knowledge of them. So. 
look at what's happening in, in, in the UK when they brought in directly, directly elected mayors, five-year terms, executive power, really stamping, you know, their, their if you like, their, their politics on, on a city being elected, you know, running for election again. That kind of energy in Dublin of having a directly elected mayor, of, of, of speaking for the city. I mean, this is, I think, what we lost after the riot. But there wasn't, I mean, that one central figure Mm. to say, to speak to the hurt, to the trauma, and not a national politician, not, you know, not, not a temporary mayor for a year, but this, not, this, this figure who's been elected directly from the people of Dublin to say, this is, this is something that we have to come to terms and with. There is to speak no... about transport, to speak about you know, housing, to speak about other issues. Now, there... it's the powers that mayor would have would be important, yeah. but we've always supported the, the concept of a directly elected mayor. There is yeah. no directly elected mayor for Dublin, but, but you yeah. said uh, a few minutes ago that you, you want to go to Europe to, to speak for Dublin. I would also would love, to be be a, in... I'd love to be a directly elected mayor Dublin. You would. I absolutely yeah. would. If, if you offered me any role in Irish politics and you said, uh, and one of the most directly elected mayor of Dublin, um, that would be an absolute dream. Would there be any good of it? That's for the people of Dublin <laughs> to decide. You know? The you idea, know? Limerick <laughs> will have a directly elected yes. mayor, as Kira was saying. Um, and, and the idea is that the vote would be, uh, would coincide with the local and European elections minister. There is a risk, though, with this that that you could get a sort of celebrity candidate or, or somebody who doesn't take the job seriously uh, and doesn't deliver. How, how fearful would you be of that? There are viewpoints put forward, I think, by uh, by uh, unelected officials who don't like the idea of giving more power to elected politicians. I mean, if you're a Democrat and you believe in democracy, you trust the electorate to make the decision. They elect somebody, that person gets held to account for their performance, and then you can either re-elect them or not elect them again. We've just passed the legislation uh, for a directly elected mayor for Limerick. It's really exciting for Limerick. Uh, both mm. city and county it genuinely is I think it has huge potential for the region um, but I think it's also going to have potential ramifications for the rest of the country um, because it is going to become the first place in the country um, in, in which we try this I, I'm personally a, a big believer in, in the concept of directly elected mayors I'd like to see um, more across our country but what we're going to do first is we're going to elect one in Limerick or indeed the people of Limerick city and county are going to do that uh, we now have clarity on the powers clarity on the responsibilities mm. and I'm sure political parties including my own now will be making decisions early in the New Year and, and who to run uh, for that office. So. And we'll see how all that pans out over the coming months. Uh, Kira, just our final topic of discussion. It's not something that is penciled in for 2024, but many are speculating that a general election might indeed happen. What's your assessment of, of things on that front? Well, I think the minister might be able to answer this a lot more easily, considering <laughs> that he was given the role of director of national <laughs> general election by the Taoiseach. Uh, he might have a great insight there. Look at you. <laughs> But um, I think very much prep is underway by all political parties. There's a lot of speculation of when it's going to be. Um, you know, God, in the last couple of weeks, we've heard it early, uh, 2024. I think it's more realistic that we will see it in the latter half of next year. And it's going to be a very divisive um, election, absolutely. I think that there's so many issues, key issues that have really come to the fore in the last couple of weeks. I suppose housing, health, um, immigration policy now is going to be a major um, election situation that politicians are going to be asked about on the doorsteps, climate change as well. So um, it's definitely going to be, I think, a, a, a real defining moment in Irish uh, politics and when this you, election comes about. You alluded to it earlier in terms of the locals, that if Fine Gael were to mm. have a, a bruising local election or, or maybe indeed Fianna Fáil. I'm just wondering, in, in terms of the general election, um, What's your expectation in terms of the likes of Leo Varadkar leading Fine Gael into that election and indeed Micheál Martin leading Fianna Fáil into those elections? I think if we were having this conversation a couple of months ago, I think 
a lot of people, even within the Fianna Fáil party, expected the tarnish of Micheál Martin to move on. I don't think that's the case anymore, although a lot of people are still, you know, wondering if he's, if he's going to take the commissioner, commissioner role, which... I might be wrong, but I don't think he will. I think he... he seems to have stepped back from that. Yes, thing. and I think that he will probably lead Fianna Fáil into the next general election. Um, you know, speaking to a lot of Fine Gael TDs and senators over the last couple of weeks, you know, a lot of them feel that change is needed at the at leadership level. When that come, uh, comes about, they're not so sure. Um, and we like that, we were having a conversation a couple of months ago. I think everybody was, you know, even the, the Taoiseach was faced questioning himself about, you know, it seems like you're not, you know, enjoying the, the role as Taoiseach for the second time round. A lot of people speculating, was he going to move on? I don't think that's entirely clear um, right now, but I think if anyone was to move on, it would be Leo Fradka rather than Michal Martin. Simon well, Harris, me... if, if there's a poor local election for Fine Gael, is Leo Varadkar's position as leader in question? No. Um, it's my absolute expectation that the Taoiseach will lead Fine Gael into the next uh, general election. That's absolutely the united wish of our of our parliamentary party and I think uh, our members across the country. Uh, and also we're, we're going to fight hard in the local elections. We have very, very many excellent candidates running. We had a good local elections the last time. We gained seats. Most of those councillors are now seeking re-election. Um, and local elections are quite local and I think we're going to be fielding a very good slate of candidates right across the country. And then we're looking forward to the general election actually because in the general election you move beyond um, you move beyond this kind of one-way conversation where it's just about the government and the government's policies to actually looking at alternative policies. And I don't before you before you before you get to to, to exercise, and I don't include all opposition in this. But we have we have seen we have seen very significant displays of populism in the doll uh, in recent periods. I'm including af- in the aftermath of the thuggery we saw on the streets of Dublin. And when you actually get to a general election, it becomes a choice. Uh, it comes a choice between alternative visions, alternative policies, and also a credibility. Who do you actually believe can deliver on the policies? Um, so we're looking forward to the next general election. And I do think it's going to be an extraordinarily consequential um, election because there will be real different visions and policies uh, on offer for the people to decide upon. Is, is the Labour Party, Aon O'Reardonner, is the Labour Party fighting this general election to get back into government or, or do you think the party needs another term well, we in always, opposition? We, we belong in government. We're, that's why I joined the Labour Party. Um, but this kind of Fine Gael, Sinn Féin spat is kind of, you know, it's mutually beneficial. Uh, they want to gob- gobble up all the, the you know, the, the coverage between them. Um, and it's it's getting quite quite tedious. Um, a lot of people in here actually are speculating about an early general election. Mm-hmm. There's a number of reasons for that. The economic situation has maybe cooled a little bit, so mm-hmm. therefore the budget mightn't be as generous as maybe previously thought. There isn't the sense that there would be a budget bounce for government because there was no budget bounce really uh, after the last budget. Um, and also, if you go earlier, you're more in control uh, of the election date, obviously, when you're when you're in situ. There, there is this fa- the Sinn Féin factor about the local elections, to be honest, because they got 9% five years ago. Polling was suggested to do better. Yeah. Will government hand Sinn Féin even on a, on, a, on a middling day for them, a seat bounce, and that has all other ramifications. So there is suggestions that but the government need a reason to go to the people. Uh, but there is one thing that is, I think is undeniable. Well, I know uh, the minister won't agree that the energy has gone out of this government. They look tired, particularly the Fine Gael side. Even speculation around people's roles. If the minister There's, for if the minister of public expenditure is not absolutely running well, out going somewhere there, else, if they have, you have, if all I, you have announcements of resignations from from you know, okay, but, uh, uh, but, TDs are the same age as me. Um, you know, it, there's a sense that that, that the 
this project is finished and there's no real yeah. belief that the project is going to go any further no, than a general election. You are so, correct in saying I fundamentally uh, disagree. I, I, I I and that's why just, I'd imagine 2024 party. will be uh, a general election year. Time, in time, time Labour Party, will I, party, I'll be absolutely frank with you. that there could be a further reduction in seats for the Labour no, Party. That would put that. your party in a really precarious well, if situation. if you look at polling, which I do, I mean, any poll in, in Dublin has us between 8 and 11%. 11% in, a, in any given constituency in Dublin gives every Dublin Labour representative a good shot at a seat. Uh, also, what we want to build is, a, is an alliance to the centre-left. And we don't feel that, the, that, as I know the Minister wants, is that the, the election has to be a choice between, you know, uh, Fine Gael on one side uh, and Sinn Féin on the other. There is enough support in Ireland for parties of the centre-left. I think it's the responsibility of parties of the centre-left to build a platform worth supporting. And in that, I put ourselves, the Sock Dems and the Green Party. Simon okay. Harris, has, has all this talk of, of people moving on to different jobs and going for for different uh, seats, has I, it taken the energy I, out of it again? i say there's a greater percentage of Labour TDs retiring in the next uh, general election than there is in, in most other political parties. So retirements happen in politics um, for a variety of reasons, including very good reasons. People can have family circumstances, people can have health circumstances, people People can have longevity uh, of service. But what we have coming up behind every retirement, and I can assure you this as our, as our party's national director for the general election, is real interest in wanting to be their next TD in the area. And we're going to have a number of contested and very competitive conventions to wish to replace TDs uh, who are retiring. I, I think other opposition, and, and, and Aon is entirely right on this, it's not just a choice between do you want to vote for Fine Gael or Sinn Féin in the next election, but it will be a matter for other parties to decide would they be willing to make Mary Lou Macdonald the Taoiseach of this country? Would they be willing to serve in a government with a Sinn Féin justice minister? Would they be willing to go with the populism, the Euroscepticism, the put your hand in the... And that, that is a choice you're going to have to make. Going negative isn't enough, though. But, we'll, we'll no, it's not enough. But would the Labour Party vote for a Sinn Féin Taoiseach? Um, and these are questions we'll have during the election debate, but that's the choice that's going to be on offer. I mean, Labour, with due respect, is unlikely to lead the next government, uh, but, but Labour has played a very important role, a very important role in government. We've served with the Labour Party in government before, a lot of respect for the Labour Party, but people will want to know. I do, genuinely, but people will want to know. feel it when we were in government together, uh, though. We worked on a lot of things together, but people will, wa people will want to actually know about what other parties are going to do and which side of the fence they're going to come on between... Uh, the, the battle that I believe is to keep populism out of government buildings. All right. Before we go, uh, just to end on a, on a happier note, I wanted to ask each of you just your your political high point uh, over the past uh, over the past year. I won't ask for a low point. I'll ask for a high point. And I'm looking at you, Aon oh, O'Reilly. No, I might ask, ask you for the first, first one. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the minister might have a, a political high point. Oh wow! Well, look, I. I, I... <laughs> I'm trying to think of one. In my, in, my, in my own department, the thing I'm most proud that we got done this year was providing students with an opportunity uh, to do a degree outside the CAO points race. Really, really passionately believe we have to support young people in having more opportunities to access education. And, you know, these are things that sometimes don't generate massive headlines during the year, but they're things that I know uh, do help make a transformational difference to people's lives. Aaron O'Rourke, a high point for you. I don't know. Sometimes it can be as simple as, you know, you, you see a gallery of people who have the, who are leaning forward watching a debate because you know that politics is actually working for mm. people. Sometimes it can be as simple as that. You know, um, I, it's my mind is so taken up with what happened so recently. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit um, consumed with, with a lot of sort of, not pessimism, but I do worry about where politics is going. I do worry about, about the nature of it. I worry about people being interested in politics. But there's, there are in, in individual moments of warmth uh, that happen cross-party, mm -hmm. uh, that happen in committee rooms sometimes. Um, and, uh, and when people speak, uh, you know, uh, with one voice as a collective. And, and that's important. And that is often something 
often lost by the cameras. But they're the kind of things that I sometimes cling to if I'm trying to be positive. Kira Phelan, as a keen observer of politics, uh, do you have a high point for 2023? I think, you know, like uh, touching on Aidan's point there, um, behind the scenes you do, you know, although it's very serious matters ongoing every day, there are some, you know, comedy moments that you do see in the doll as well. We've seen plenty this year. Um, in terms of legislation and as a country, I think, you know, the most recent one in terms of the surrogacy legislation, I think that was a massive milestone for the country. Um, you know, what it means to people in Ireland that they fought so long and so hard for. I think that is a really high point this year in terms of legislation. But in another high point, high point in terms of, you know, ongoings in the doll, God, there's been so many funny moments between the Healy Rays and Thomas Pringle recently and you know in all the doom and gloom sometimes moments like that although it may be the use of unparliamentary language and sometimes it can just add to a little bit of relief that in the doll despite all the seriousness you know um, that you can find some light moments too. I think the Kian Corla was commenting on the last day of the doll in 2023 he was giving out about yes. the use of unparliamentary language so perhaps a, a lesson to be learned for the new year but uh, we'll leave it there thank you all for joining us our guest Aon O'Riordan a justice spokesperson with Labour uh, Simon Harris Minister for Further and Higher Education and Kira Phelan political correspondent with the Irish Examiner that is our loss have a happy Christmas and indeed a happy new year and we'll speak to you again in 2024.